0: What do you do with your old household batteries when they finally die? Chuck them away? Take them to the recycling centre? How about turning them into fertiliser?
1: It's a novel technique of extracting valuable nutrients out of spent alkaline batteries.
0: We'll hear about trace Grow from Hutchinson's in a minute and we'll look back at the recent low carbon agriculture show, catching up with some old friends of the farming programme and hearing of some new ideas like breeding flies for feed.
2: They're a really high protein source and it's a lot better for the environment than feeding them on soy. Plus some timely agronomy advice
0: and the livestock and grain market reports and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning, hope you've had a good week. What do you do with your old batteries, the ones from the TV remote, the doorbell, the radio? Over 10 million such alkaline batteries are sold each year. If you're good, they go to the recycling box at the supermarket. But what then? Well, now they can be turned into fertiliser. I'm joined by Tim Kerr, fertiliser manager at Hutchinson's Agronomy. So, Tim, how do you turn batteries into fertiliser?
1: It's something that we've been looking at for a couple of years. It's a novel technique of extracting valuable nutrients out of spent alkaline batteries. And it's an area where I think we need to invest more in as an industry to recycle nutrients as best we can. And this is a really valuable way of extracting trace elements from otherwise the uh, useless batteries. so yeah, it's a very positive step forward, I think.
0: How does it actually work then you get a great big pile of batteries. What do you actually then do with those batteries?
1: So uh, a Finnish company have, have patented the process of extracting the nutrients from it. They effectively crush the batteries and extract the residue of nutrients from them, and then process that into a product that can be applied to crops.
0: And is this a product that you add to something else, or is it a fertiliser that's used just as it is? It's a standalone
1: product, so it's designed to be applied to growing crops as a a foliar application. At the moment, there's a product that's containing manganese and zinc, uh, but we're also looking at other products in the future as well.
0: I suppose the first thought that would come to mind is you're going to need an awful lot of batteries to make a significant amount of fertiliser.
1: Well, there are an awful lot of uh, batteries. So, yes, I mean, the numbers are scary in terms of how many batteries there are. And uh, 60% of the battery is valuable sort of nutrients. So, although you need a lot of batteries, yeah, there are plenty of batteries available to to recycle. I
0: mean, given the the situation we find ourselves in with the cost of other fertiliser going through the roof, A, is it commercially available at the moment, and B, what are we talking about? cost comparison
1: it's it's comparable with with mined nutrients so uh, and it has a much lower carbon footprint so uh it's, it's much better in terms of its uh, carbon footprint for the crop and for the environment uh, and yeah comparative to, to any other products that are on the market and yes it's commercially available and uh, we had it out on farm for the last season with some really good success
3: how is the
0: the fertilizer actually applied tim
1: so this is a, a foliar product so uh, it's applied to the growing crop it provides manganese and zinc it's very simple to apply it's a, it's a clear liquid product that uh, can be easily tank mixed uh, with other products.
0: Okay and obviously you've trialed this and what have the results been like?
1: Uh, really encouraging crops require small amounts of trace elements They're, they are essential elements and we're learning more all the time about how those essential elements can contribute to overall crop health and crop growth uh, and we're at, the, at the moment, we're facing a huge crisis in terms of fertilizer supply and costs. And all these products can contribute to improving nitrogen use efficiency, which, which then reduces our reliance on inorganic fertilizers. It reduces our reliance on imported fertilizers. So it, it helps, in a way, in, in food security and we're looking at more products in this sort of area where recycled nutrients can be put back on the land.
0: Okay. Uh, Okay, Tim, thank you very much for joining us on the farming programme. Okay. thank you. Interesting stuff. There's more information on the Trace Grow website or Hutchinson's website, hlhltd.co.uk. Time for Agronomy Now with Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. I guess in these uncertain times with huge supply and price concerns around fertiliser, any alternatives worth considering?
4: Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, it's a massive subject, really, the whole area around crop nutrition, very interesting. And it looks like we're going to need to find all sorts of novel fertilising solutions for our commercial crops as things stand, trace elements and macro elements as well. Um, And there'll be plenty of ideas, plenty of miracles in cans which are going to appear over the coming months... Of that I am absolutely certain along with some of the products already out in the marketplace which will be rebranded and retouted as the solution and the cure of all ills. just make sure that there's some independent corroborated trials data there to back up any claims made by any product you're thinking of using though um, you know when you get a product which quotes one trial as proving all that should really be uh, viewed with scepticism. The battery thing though, it's quite a small part of crop nutrition. Zinc very, very important. We do have other sources of zinc, of course, but anything that reduces landfill has to be a good thing, in my opinion. I think anything we can do to utilise our waste and turn it into something useful should be applauded. All ideas absolutely welcomed, I think, at the moment. And, but as I said last week, I think CRISPR plant breeding technology will be our, our main saviour. That way we can move towards a world where the necessity for any form of synthetic nitrogen or trace element applied nutrition of any description is reduced. And I have a feeling we might be a little bit closer to that end than we think. So, what a week it was. It was drying really nicely at the beginning of the week. Nice sunny days, bit of sugar beet, pea fields, bit of spring wheat, spring barley, spring beans, all going in, all going in well. Then 24 millimeters of rain for me on Wednesday afternoon, followed by a frost. I know it scuppered the drilling and the land work for a day or two, but the forecast is pretty good good it's sunny it's windy it's mildish so we'll soon be back on the land again take a positive from it because there's nothing we can do about it we needed a drop of rain we're going to look back in a few weeks if it does come dry and we'll be very grateful for that inch of water it'll do an awful lot of good it's going to wash in the applied nitrogen phosphorus potash that's been applied over the last week or two for a start it'll wet the root zone so with a bit of sunshine warming soils these crops are going to be off like bilio so Winter weeks then, T0 well upon us now. Leaf 4 emerging in the stuff that was drilled before about the 10th of October, but it's more about soil type and variety than it is about calendar date, which is always the case, of course. Leaf 4 is your target with T0. But do think about why you're putting a T0 on. Is it for plant growth regulation, for lodging control? Is it for tiller manipulation, root manipulation? Is it for disease control? Is that your primary attack? Yellow rust, quite widespread out here in the field. But if it's for growth regulation, just make sure the product you've chosen allows you to split it. Check the label. If you're going to go back at growth stage 33, make sure you can do if you've already put one dose of it on. And make sure that the growth stage itself is safe and legal. Check the label. Make sure the crop is actually at that growth stage. Remember, growth stage 30 is your target leaf for emergent. And remember, that is on the lead tiller when the distance from the top of the basal node to the tip of the ear gets to be a centimetre. That's growth stage 30. So speak to your advisor, get your knife out, slice these plants open and don't just go by calendar date, which is always a mistake. Most of the popular wheat varieties out here, by the way, are pretty good against yellow rust, but they will show seedling rust, which will then disappear and cause no issues to the plant by around early stem extension. So things like strabiliarins, tebuconazole, probably the best choice at the T0 timing and use these strobs to green the crops up. It'll help to encourage nitrogen scavenging. And since we lost Chlorthalinil, T0 is really for correcting nutrient issues like that, like a bit of nitrogen, manganese, magnesium, and little else, really. But you'll dry out a bit of rust in the field with strobs or tebiconazole. And remember that the main time to control septoria will be the growth stage 31, 32 timing and also the flag leaf timing, T1 and T2. There's plenty of rust out here in Skyfall Glee, Kerin, Insator, Lily, Zyat and other varieties. But those varieties are probably more concerning because they're only rated sixes and sevens against yellow rust. But again, know what you have in the field and treat as and when the weather allows you to do so. All seed rate really running now. The buds rising means it's too late for clopyralid or clopyralid plus picloram products and, and of course way too late now for Corvetto. So you just have to put up with what you've got. Light leaf spot level's fairly static but do monitor that one quite closely. If it's in the field and it's moving you need to be on that with a decent fungicide pre-emergence herbicides on cereals beans peas sugar beet etc are best on within three or four days of drilling and do make sure that the seed is both deep enough and well covered to protect it from those herbicides so I think it's all about to get a bit busy a few warm days and a bit of wind to dry things out and away we go I think it's fair to say in Cheltenham week we're under starter's orders let's see what the next seven days bring
0: Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services, who you can follow on Twitter at SASAgronomy, and you can follow us at Farming Show. A few days ago, the Low Carbon Agriculture Show returned to Stonely, and at the show I caught up with some old friends of the farming programme for updates and learnt of some new ideas, including Farming Flies for Feed – Nicola Gardner from Beta Bugs told me more.
2: The insects that we farm are black soldier fly, so they're not native here and they're not an invasive species. They're very different to your normal, your flies. Because they're not invasive, obviously they eat their, their kind of own food, they're not interested in swarming around, so they don't tend to bother any of the, the other animals. They do have their own cages that they live in. The way that you farm animals, you can do the same with insects. So it's just basically like a little mini farm but it's for insects.
5: So
0: what are the advantages? Why would we want to farm insects?
2: From a farmer's perspective, it's really good for for the environment. So they're a really high protein source and it's a lot better for the environment than feeding them on soy. Uh, There's also quite a lot of benefits to the animals as well. depends on what what animals it is. But for chickens, for example, it really improves their their gut health. Um, It is a really high source of protein for them as well, which is gives them many different benefits. Even like their their coats or their feathers, it's an improvement to to that as well.
0: How do you actually breed them?
2: The black soldier fly, they've got quite a short life cycle, so it's around about two weeks. So it's similar to if you think of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, we have the eggs that then turn into larvae and that is when the they eat. So they turn into larvae and then there's the pre-pupae which is when they're kind of encased and then they'll turn into flies after about five to seven days they've got quite a short life cycle so when they turn into full flies they don't eat so they only live to produce eggs
0: you couldn't need an awful lot of flies are farmers adding this to existing food or are they feeding the animals purely on the flies
2: um, it would be as an um, added an ingredient, so it's a protein ingredient, so you wouldn't be able to feed them on the flies alone. Yeah, you would need a lot of flies, but one female fly lays between 500 to 800 eggs each. So it depends on, obviously, the size of the, of the farm and what, you, what kind of output you're looking for, but it would be more as a high-protein source ingredient or source rather than a full meal.
0: Interested? You can find out more at betabugs.uk. There was a lot of interest at the show around the stand showing electric quad bikes. Mark Montserrat from Off-Road Electric.
3: What have we got here? So here we've got uh, a full range of electric vehicles, right from the two-wheel drive UBCO uh, electric motorbikes through to the British-made uh, eco-charger quad bikes through to a company called Hyson that makes electric UTVs or side-by-sides. Uh, people call them gators. And then um, I also deal in electric tractors and go all the way up to electric converted uh, Land Rover Defenders and uh, next year will be the dealer for the Munro which is a Scottish built large uh, capacity SUV.
0: Are people actually moving to the new technology yet?
3: It's happening. It is slow. Some some farmers will be more cautious than than others, I mean certainly um, the the organic farmers and people who are kind of practicing new techniques are perhaps more open to electric vehicles. Obviously, farmers are all cash strapped and electric vehicles tend to be uh, more expensive at the outset. but then your running costs are much, much lower anyway. So quite often you can finance the difference between petrol and electric from the savings in in, in, electric, in fuel. So it's th- generally about 10 times cheaper to run an electric vehicle. And actually the UTVs are very competitively priced. People buy electric because they want to, to, to work indoors or, or in greenhouses or around animals um, who don't want to be spooked by loud motors. Yeah, lo- lots of different applications for them.
0: On a practical point of view, one of the things that's slowed the development from regular cars into electrical has been battery life and mileage Mm. and so on. For quad bikes and tractors running on electric,
3: how long will the battery last? You're talking about from lead acids, to 15 to 20 miles of range. And then on the lithium, it just depends how much battery capacity you want. So immediately you're sort of up to 20 to 25 miles. Some of the larger vehicles could do 30 to 35 miles. On an off-road context, that's a long way to go. When you're, st- when you're slowing down an electric vehicle, it's putting power back into the battery. And so it's quite efficient. And when you stop, you can just leave it running. It's, not, it's using minimal power and it's completely silent. And are we at the
0: point yet where traditional full-size tractors are moving towards electric?
3: Probably not. I think we need to wait perhaps a few more years for batteries to really get more efficient and and lower costs for for the larger tractors to to start to come in.
0: More info from Mark at offroadelectric.com. Agri-Epicentre were on the programme last May for Innovation Week and they were innovating at the show talking about automating lettuces. Duncan Ross, tell us more.
6: This came on the back of the understanding that there's been a real issue with accessing labour, especially from Eastern Europe. Uh, That's going to be even more difficult this year probably. So a lot of sectors have been finding the problem with accessing people to come and do some of these harvesting jobs whether it's picking fruit or harvesting uh, lettuce or flowers or all of the other crops that need doing by hand so we were working and uh, established a project working with partners at Grimmy, pdm another large lettuce grower ids which is an imaging company and the university of west of england looking at how we can bring together a project to actually lift a lettuce clear of the ground, separate the outer leaves and deliver it to a flow wrapper and take away all of the human element behind harvesting an iceberg lettuce. It's not commercially available yet but it is work in progress.
0: So we still need humans just at the moment?
6: At the moment yes, but effectively if you can do this you're removing that back-breaking work of bending and cutting and lifting Uh, and you're actually redeploying people to a different part of the process, which may uh, end up opening up your business to a different pool of labor. So you're not necessarily looking at those young, sort of 20-something young men, who perhaps will be people who are doing that. You may be looking at something more of a a factory-type process. So you're standing under cover, you're standing upright, you're not doing all that bending and lifting, uh, which makes it more attractive to other people. All right Duncan thank you welcome nice to see you their
0: website is agri-epicenter.com I first met Droneag or Skippy Scout, the precision drone company at last year's Cereals. They were at the Low Carbon Agriculture Show, so I got a quick progress update from Emma Scorer.
7: A lot of our customers with the increase in nitrogen rate have been asking if we can recommend nitrogen um, based on what Skippy Scout finds. Um, We've developed, based on the green area index, different areas of the field, what nitrogen you need, and we are currently working on getting that into your spreader as a map.
0: Just to take a step back, for those of who didn't actually listen to my interview with Jack last year, 30 seconds on what Skippy Scout is.
7: So Skippy Scout is a software app that you plug a drone in and you pick some points of your field and it basically crop walks to them points for you, it takes a photo at two metres and then flies around the field, comes back to you and then it uploads to our servers and we have image recognition and AI that finds weeds, green area index, crop cover Um, We could do flowering, different things, depending on the crop.
0: Now, it was very much in its early stages last year when Mm -hmm. I spoke to Jack. Are we fully commercially available and everything now?
7: Yeah, so we have been commercially available since March 2020, but um, based on this, we're sort of spending our money on promoting the services and growing our team to make more product fast, basically.
0: And where can we find out more about Skippy Scout?
7: Um, On our website, skippy.farm. A few
0: months ago, I spoke to Ian Wheel at the launch of their livestock data platform app, Breeder,
8: B-R-E-E-D-R.
0: Ian, for those who didn't hear our chat last year, quickly, what is Breeder?
8: Breeder is a livestock data platform that helps farmers understand the performance on their farm, but then we also then use that data to help them get better prices for their cattle.
0: So since we spoke a few months ago, what's new with Breeder?
8: Uh, So, look, there's a few things that are happening. One is uh, we've just launched a cash flow product. So for all these farmers that are capturing data... We're actually able to use that weight information so that as the animal grows, we can release cash to as a farmer to pay for feed, to buy new cattle. Really sort of speeds up that whole process because as you know, for cattle, they live for 24 months. You don't get income until month 24. We can now help you get income any stage through that life cycle using data that goes under it. And then the other really exciting part is we're now launching sheep. Sheep is coming to the breeder platform. We've got our first 50 sheep farmers that are already on there. And as of April, we'll be ramping that up to sheep farmers and it will be free for for sheep only users which is great so similar model to cattle and with all of the other benefits that come with it so you'll be able to put your data on trade those animals collaborate with other farmers benchmarking and so on so yeah it's a very exciting time for for us it's
0: obviously growing nicely and the business is good so what's next
8: probably two big things that are next for us which is why we're here at the um, carbon ag show is to actually try and understand the carbon impact and so farmers can start to articulate that and with that we're starting to look at things like regenerative farming, what we can do to support regenerative farmers so we have our own mapping system that's coming in to be able to support that and we'll be also integrating with other people to do that. And then I think the other big thing is we're now building more and more supply chains so we have three of the UK's biggest supply chains now using our platform to run uh, beef supply chains, and we're now able to support farmers to get included in those supply chains and get better returns.
0: And again, more info at breeder.co or download their app. Great to see so many people at the Low Carbon Ag Show, which is back at Stoneley next February. To the markets now, starting at Louth Livestock Market with auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver.
5: Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday the 14th of March 2022. Starting with the prime cattle, which saw the heifers and the steers top from both the same homes of J and S Brooks of Strubby, steers to 240 pence per kilo and grossing 1,389 pounds, while the heifers top at 239 pence per kilo and gross 1,407 pounds. That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the prime hogs with a slightly increased number forward, which saw an SQQ of 258.01 pence per kilo and an all-in average of 244.34 pence per kilo which will be 3 or 4 pence dearer on the week. The top came for TJ Baxter of Alford at 304 pence per kilo, while the pounds per head was topped and shared by W.R. Hansen & Son of Coningsby and A.J. Colson & Sons of Oscoby at 130 pounds per head. Moving on to the Cool use, similar number forward, however, again, a slight lift in trade, which are an all-in average of 131 pounds and 71 pence, which would be some 10 pound a head dearer, with a top this week coming for NA and AC Colly Shores for Spalding at £219 a head. Finally, Store Lambs, which are a mixture on offer, to leave an all-in average of £51.45, with a top for George Shaw of Holtley Clay at £94 per head. That wraps this week up. Tomorrow, Monday the 21st of March, is Store Cattle Week, with several already entered. Entries are still required for both the cattle and sheep for tomorrow's market, so please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Oliver. And
9: Open Fields Kit Dickinson has a look at the grain markets now. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices dropped sharply on Wednesday on headlines from the FT article citing improved prospects for a solution to the war in Ukraine. Although, on closer inspection, it does not look like Russia agreed to anything. President Biden's reference to Putin in his speech as a war criminal, followed by Putin's rant on the Russian TV blaming the West for everything, did not give much cause for optimism. There are those that fear that Putin will use any ceasefire to refresh his troops and replenish his munitions for a renewed assault. Let us hope that this is not the case. Old crop Ukrainian wheat and maize exports of some 16 to 17 million metric ton are almost certainly excluded due to port damage, blockages, whilst prospects for their winter wheat harvest and spring maize plantings will diminish the longer the conflict goes on. Sanctions will unquestionably affect the Russian grain exports, meaning markets will drop and reallocate the demand elsewhere, which in short term means the US, EU and India. It is therefore critical that there are no major new crop issues, particularly in the main exporting countries, which is a big ask given the increased cost of fuel and fertiliser. The effects of climate change and export bans, restrictions which are being imposed in some countries to protect their food security. Let us hope for a good harvest in the UK or things could get interesting with new crop at a £50 discount to old crop. Looking at malting barley this week, new crop values continue to fluctuate depending upon the latest headline from the Ukraine conflict. A mixed week of weather, but spring malting barley has progressed further, with some areas on proper malting barley land now complete. Prices for new crop have closed, the gap on old crop prices, and in some areas are now at parity. But as growers are planting, they are now selling forward at these historically high levels. Oil seed rate markets were supported earlier in the week by a firmer Chicago and weaker sterling, but then drifted a little lower due to the fall in crude oil, which has now eased back to $100 a barrel. The market will continue to be supported by strong demand with a very tight supply on old crop and a lack of buyers is minimising any price falls. With nearly four months left before we see any new crop and with difficulty sourcing both domestic and imported seed, not to mention the volatile freight rates, forward months are going to be well supported. A lot of commodity weaknesses is based on the hopes of a resumption in supplies from the Black Sea region as talks between Russia and Ukraine progress. Yet, with much of the Ukrainians' port infrastructure being taken out, this will need a lot of time to be rebuilt. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for March 280 to 286, May 295 to 302, November two hundred forty to two hundred and fifty pounds ex the farm. Milling wheat premiums are circa thirty five to forty pounds currently. Feed barley for March two hundred and seventy eight to two hundred and eighty four, May two hundred and eighty two to two hundred and eighty six, November two hundred and twenty to two hundred and twenty six. Or seed rope for March seven hundred and forty to seven hundred and fifty, May seven hundred and forty five to seven hundred and fifty five and November new crop six hundred and ten to six hundred and twenty.
0: Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. A lovely spring week by the looks of it. High pressure all week brings calm winds, plenty of sunshine, and it looks dry for the most part this week. The wind, such as it is, will be mostly easterly all week. Cold tonight with a low of 2 Celsius, but mild for the rest of the week with daytime highs in the mid teens Celsius. Well, that's your lot for this week. Back next Sunday at 7 on Lynx FM or whenever you want from then on the Lynx FM app, podcast or Chestashi smart speaker to play the latest farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week.